All right, how's it going tonight, everybody? We are Run the Real, featuring Mike, Terry, Vox, and Dan. And we are back with another great review, hopefully. Um, Wait, what? You tried to sneak that in there, didn't you? Wait a second. Wow. I just hope it's a good review. Wow. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. Hopefully. And you guys just been waiting to pounce on me for saying that. <laughs> we're always listening. Don't think we're tuning out for your intro. Constantly on guard. Yeah, I'm keeping you on your toes to start the review. But anyways, um, speaking of keeping on, we are keeping on with our Star Wars review here. And we have finally made it to uh, episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. Finally, yes. I think that um, a lot of people consider this to be the best one out of all of them people on imdb even consider this one to be the best one is currently ranked at an 8.7 out of 10 with 1 million user reviews on imdb that's a lot that is high even more surprising well not surprising i guess but kind of cool is is at number 14 on the top 250 right now dang that's pretty crazy yeah that puts it higher than a new hope which we did last week which is number 24 you don't often get sequels that are more hailed critically than the original you know i'm just surprised by this number of 1 million people have rated this on imdb this one is the only one of the six original ones right that is not directed by george lucas return of the jedi is directed by lucas right i don't think return of the jedi is i think he only did a new hope oh okay yeah he did not direct return of the jedi either irvin kirshner directed this one which kind of fun fact i know we talked about a little bit but his son went on to write solo a star wars story yeah lucas was still involved in it though this one follows after episode four, and it starts out on the ice planet Hoth. I don't think we need to really go into the synopsis of this one because I'm sure everyone listening to us has seen this movie before because it is cinematic history. Spoilers if you haven't, I guess. <laughs> I wouldn't really say this is the kind of show you come and watch the movie after listening to it. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with some of the other stuff. I guess just kind of a little bit more background information. This won an Oscar for Best Sound. Ah, that makes sense. You know, what stood out to me most this time watching it, revisiting it, was I really kind of got a soap opera vibe from this. Well, I mean, I guess you can call it like a space opera. I didn't realize how much family drama went on in this one, you know, because when I was watching this before i was kind of more in it for the uh the fights and all that kind of stuff you know the the training of luke but there's quite a bit of drama in this one that i didn't pick up on well i did pick up on it but it just didn't stand out to me in the past yeah it does feel a little more like interpersonal like character relations focused rather than just kind of broad character arcs that's a great way to continue the actual story because it set up all the characters perfectly in episode four so the next logical thing is to explore them in the sequel and see how they're going to interact with each other and how their relationship builds after the events of the previous film and then the events of this one and i just think it's so cool that we got a sequel well i guess would you call this a sequel? I mean, I, I don't know what else you'd call it. <laughs> it's the second one in it, but it's the fifth movie. 
So a sequel that's, you know, actually builds upon the characters and doesn't overdo it and actually makes a better movie, in my opinion, because that does not happen very often. I could probably count on one hand the amount of sequels that I think are actually better than the originals. Slim pickings for that. I'm, I'm trying to think of them right now, and yeah, I can only think of maybe two. I think most people regard this as the best sequel ever made in existence, though nowadays I would argue that Blade Runner 2049 could be the contender for best sequel ever made. I would say, you know, this is one of the perfect ways to do a sequel because you challenge the characters that were already established in new ways and you build upon what was already created. You don't do something really weird. You actually advance the story in an interesting way and the character arcs as well. And you strengthen the original film as a whole too because all the character motivations in this film give you a better understanding of why people act the way they do in the previous film. I do kind of like how they, well, they kind of throw you right in. Not quite as hard, I don't think, as um, the first one where it like starts right out in like a shootout, but they kind of ease into it a little bit more with the whole like Luke running around on his dinosaur and getting attacked <laughs> by a Sasquatch. On his dinosaur. You mean the Tauntaun and the Wampa? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I couldn't think of their names. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is for sure. I hate to go back to it, but the, the sequel talk, I was thinking of this while I was watching it. Oh, I thought you were going to go back to bashing on TV for not knowing what a Tauntaun was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe here in a bit. I hate to go back again, but... Jesus, TV. <laughs> well, I did, okay, throw some light shade at TV. We were watching this, and I was like, do you remember in Battlefront 2 the mode where you could fight the Wampas? And he was like, what is a Wampa? Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, no. Ouch. Terry's the Marvel guy, which is what I'm going to bring up, is that the Marvel sequels, they always feel like just an in-between movie to me and it's like hey we're just building up to the next movie this one you know it stands on its own and i never feel like that when i watch this movie i don't i feel like everything in this has a purpose for it to be there and it can stand alone on its own as an awesome movie whereas like you know the movies we get today that are sequels they're just building up to a final part you know they're like hey we need to find some filler crap to get from point A to where we actually want to be. Do you think it would stand alone, though? If, like, you, someone who'd never seen Star Wars, and you're like, here's episode five. Watch this. I don't know if it could stand alone. Yeah, I think it builds off the first one pretty well. I mean, it does build off the first one, but I think that, you know, story and plot-wise, it doesn't ever feel like filler to me. Like, we're just trying to get to the end here. There's, like, the big twist in this movie... There's a bunch of character development that happens in here. Well, do you get what I'm kind of saying? I mean, I get what you're saying, but there's like a lot of things you need to know from the first movie to understand what's happening in this one. I think what Mike's getting at is like what Marvel does. They just in between their big Avengers films, they do all the small character movies that I mean, you could take them or leave them and you're not going to miss out on anything in the next Avengers film, right? Whereas with Empire Strikes Back, it's so essential to everything in the first movie. 
and the continuing the story of Star Wars that you can't continue without this one. Yeah. Well, it it's a reflection of the time, too, because, I mean, now we have Marvel and to some extent DC doing their cinematic universes. And you could argue that the only films you really need to watch in those are the Avengers movies. All the rest is just fluff. I think there's a few essentials, but I would argue Avengers 2 does not need to be seen ever. So that's a <laughs> I would agree with that. It builds good on Tony's character, though. But anyway, back to Star Wars. It's not like we have a spinoff movie about R2-D2 and C-3PO doing their shenanigans or a spinoff about Lando Calrissian before Empire Strikes Back, right? We just get, three years later, a quality sequel that builds up the first one and just does everything that a sequel needs to do correctly. That's kind of what I was trying to say there. I never feel like I'm just watching this so I can watch the next movie when I watch this one. Yeah, I mean, it does feel essential to like the trilogy. I would say that for sure. But I wouldn't, you know, the Marvel movies aren't necessarily supposed to be seen as like a, what would you call that? Like a Deca Thousand trilogy or whatever. <laughs> like, I realize there's the differences. This one does feel like they had more to do with it. Like the, the story had a place to go still. Because they expand on a lot of stuff with like the Force and everything. Because before it's just like, I don't know, more of a spiritual thing. Sure, Obi-Wan, like, tricks some people, but you don't really get to see, like, people lifting rocks or, like, X-Wings out of swamps. They kind of grow on that and the whole, like, mythology of that. There's a lot of stuff that they kind of touch on. Yeah, it touches on a lot, and it builds upon the original in such awesome ways, and it introduces new characters like Yoda and Lando it is my understanding that once Lucas realized that this was going to be a thing, and that The New Hope wasn't like a standalone movie, that he wanted to make a serialized film series. So, I mean, obviously it's going to build on itself and not just be like standalone comic issues like the Marvelverse. Well, it got weird there for a bit, because after Episode 4 came out, like the EU started going. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, there was a book... That was released where Luke goes to some planet and he actually kills Darth Vader. I believe so. Is that a comic? Yeah, it was like a book or something, a comic. And Luke actually went and killed Darth Vader. But then this movie came out and Darth Vader is very much not dead. From what I know, Lucas, he worked himself to death on episode four. And then the studio was like, hey, we want you to do more movies of this because it was such a hit. And so he kind of wrote the story, and then they had uh, Kirshner come in and actually direct it. Lucas was there, but he was kind of like a ghost, right? I'm not so sure. I think he was working more on, like, the business side of things. Like, he was doing a lot. He had the merchandising and stuff now. Like, he was working more. He was so busy that he had to focus on a lot more other things so that he kind of let whatever Kirshner do it. He wrote the second draft of this movie. I mean, he had a big hand, but not as much per se, as he did in 4 and then 6, which I find it interesting, all the story choices that were made in this one, considering that Lucas wasn't like the driving force behind every single thing in this one, really. Because, I mean, coming up with Vader being Luke's father is like the greatest twist of all time and such a cool idea that nobody expects. I mean... 
Kirshner and then the story team came in and made such cool and good character decisions with everything and that it wasn't just all driven by Lucas the whole time. Yeah, I think it was like the ultimate creative team working all together on this because Kirshner, you know, he did RoboCop 2, um, a movie called Never Say Never Again. And then all of a sudden, Star Wars Episode Five: Empire Strikes Back, like one of the best movies of all time. I think it's interesting to look at it as, you know, Lucas with the team creating these this movie. And it's regarded as one of the best movies of all time. It doesn't feel as Lucas-y as every other movie feels. And it's the best one. So <laughs> I love Lucas, but I think he's proved that he doesn't really know what makes a great film <laughs> at least when when he's left to his own devices he has to have a bunch of no people coming in and telling him we can't do that or do you think of it this way but yeah i mean it, it makes sense because working as a team is a great way to come up with ideas so we watched the special edition or at least i me and mike did i don't know about you guys and this one doesn't feel like it was touched hardly at all compared to the last one it's not so as far as like story beats go or anything, there's basically no story beats that are changed in this one. It's mostly just like window dressing, literally, uh, in Cloud City anyways. <laughs> like it surprised me because we get those tauntauns running around with like their stop motion and it's like, I'm surprised Lucas was just like, let's replace this with CGI. There's like a lot of moments in here where I feel like uh, this would be an obvious place where I would think George Lucas would want to step in and remaster or whatever, but he didn't. It's weird. I think the biggest, one of the biggest things in here was we didn't have Ian McDermott as the emperor yet. So they had a completely different guy doing the voice for the emperor and he looked like completely different in the theatrical cut. Like, he had one really big bug eye, and then the other <laughs> one was, like, s small. He was really deformed and junk. There's not really a reason to watch the theatrical version of this one over the special edition, in my opinion. The only thing that is bad, but it's not in all of the special editions, is when Luke throws himself off of that little tower in Cloud City. In one of the special editions, they add in this real awkward yell from when Palpatine gets thrown off the edge in Return of the Jedi. It doesn't fit at all, and it completely ruins that moment of the film. Yeah, I think he changed Boba Fett's voice. They redubbed him, too, with the one guy. They did with the new guy. I forgot. That's probably a good thing, too, because he sounds like a pirate in the theatrical <laughs> version, and it's really weird. We could have had the privateer instead of the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of weird for me, because we're talking about these different editions of this movie, but I was young enough when I started watching the VHS versions of these movies that I don't remember exactly when I moved over to the newer versions of this movie the updated ones so it's kind of hard for me to remember exactly what the vhs ones were like or the theatrical ones or compared to these new ones i can only tell when it's blatantly obvious you know yeah like with the first one with the cgi creatures it's like ah well obviously that but yeah the whole um you know han shot first kind of 
controversy that stands out to me because i remember how it was back in the theatrical ones but well and it's a big story change that completely changes the character too i don't remember exactly how these were back in the vhs i watched these a ton on vhs when i was a kid i just couldn't get enough of it something that stood out to me as i was watching this this go around was that this movie does have quite a few characters in it and it feels like each one gets enough screen time and enough character development which with each character. And I think that's really neat. Yeah, they kind of split off. Like They've got Luke's kind of story, and then they've got Han and Leia and Chewbacca's side of things, but it never feels like disjointed or anything. It feels pretty natural. Yeah, I don't feel like I'm getting cheaped out on a character to get more focus on one of the other ones. Everybody kind of gets kind of their arc. Even Vader in this one, I think, has an interesting character arc because he's actually interacting with his son for the first time. Yeah, he didn't know who he was in episode four. You're just the guy who blew up the Death Star. It wasn't until... The Emperor told him in this one. Yeah, well, I think he learns beforehand, actually, in the comics that are canon now. Because I read the Darth Vader comic for a while. And there's a really cool scene when he figures out who Luke is in the comic. Yeah, this is the first time he actually interacts with him, any. And it's it's interesting seeing what he does because we're used to vader just coming through and destroying everything killing people who get in his way and then here he's actually trying to reach out to his son and bring him over to his side and see things from his point of view i thought it was interesting because i didn't know about the the comics that vader learns who luke was in the comics so i thought the first time he knew who luke was was when the emperor shows up in the the hologram it was like this is the son of uh anakin skywalker and vader's like how is that possible and he just keeps his cool that whole time so i thought it was interesting to see how his training has progressed along you know even on the dark side to where he doesn't have this emotional outburst he's just like what how is this possible well he might be playing it cool too because i don't think the emperor would like it if he just went nuts you know i don't think he'd stand for that you don't think he'd appreciate that he's gotta play it cool he's just the lap dog for the emperor now he like he can't beat the Emperor on his own. Man, someone's got to pay the bills on that walking iron lung. I think it's a cool character moment for him. Vader, at that point in time in his life, I mean, he's still Anakin Skywalker, but he learns that his son, who he thought was dead, is still alive, and he just kind of takes it, you know, as Vader would take it right then. And the more he thinks about it, you can see how his mind is changing and things like that, and especially when we get the episode six you'll see it even more where he's like a little bit regretful even that he has to take luke to emperor palpatine darth vader's my favorite star wars character so i love everything about him pretty much in these three movies yeah even at the end of this movie i love it so much when like leia is on the falcon luke's hanging from this thing on cloud city and Vader is on the uh, the Super Star Destroyer. And you have this interesting dynamic where they're all kind of like communicating with each other in this weird triangle. And you can see how it's impacting their character. And it's it's pretty emotional 
watching it. That family soap opera. Yeah, it was so cool watching it this time. I'd never really picked up on how emotional that was before. Yeah, I agree, because Vader's trying to reach out to Luke, but Luke, because he's the hero and everything, and it's not going to turn to the dark side, keeps basically rejecting his advances or whatever, and just thinking of other things to get his mind out of vader's probing and stuff so yeah it really humanizes vader who up to this point had just been the big bad guy in the scary mask i knew luke and leia were talking to each other in their head but i didn't realize vader was also doing that yeah yeah he was trying to um reach out to luke i mean i just saw him staring out the window because he was so excited that they were going to capture the ship. He was like watching them or whatever. But Yeah, that's such a cool shot. And it's so emotional, a cool shot. The music in the background, it just makes that scene cinematic history. Because, I mean, I have that shot of Vader looking out the Star Destroyer on my background rotation on my desktop. And I, I think it's interesting, too, that right before this, when he told, he was like, Luke, I am your father. Luke's like, no, you can't be. But then when he's sitting there, on the falcon he's reaching out and he can feel him he's like father like he accepts it at that point and it's so powerful watching that it's a great great character moment that flies under the radar with a lot of people i think yeah i think that last you know 15 minutes is what makes this my favorite out of all the star wars movies it's just that last 15 minutes, how powerful it is. You get that huge twist that n- literally nobody sees coming. I mean, everybody knows it now because, well, that's how big of an impact it had. And it's such a good twist because it fools the audience, yet it makes sense in the story and provides such an interesting track for all the characters that go down. It's just, yeah, it's it's hard to replicate that. It's a better twist than like anything else I can think of, really. We get the good action and everything. We get a really cool ground battle, which they hadn't done before, which is neat to see. But then they still put in the the air speeders and stuff to get some of the ship combat. But along with that, in the lightsaber fighting, we get just great great character development between all of the main cast and even the new additions that are added in have great character development i mean lando goes from being a pawn of the empire basically to seeing his friends suffer at the hands of him and then having a change of heart and trying to (laughs) do right by his mistakes He's not even in it that much, and he gets a complete character arc in this film. (laughs) Man, I think it was his plan all along to betray the Empire. He doesn't like being in charge of the mining operation. He hates it. (laughs) Yeah, he just wants the Falcon. (laughs) Man, Lando's wearing Han's clothes at the end, too. He is, isn't he? (laughs) He's becoming him. Very suspicious. I did like, uh, I noticed that this time is kind of a fun, like, well, I get—I don't know. I guess Solo called back to this one where, you know, in Solo, Han shows up at the end and is like, I can't believe you did that, you son of a gun. And then he's like, ah, just kidding. And then it was kind of made me smile when uh, Lando did it in this one. I was like, ah, he's, he's getting them back for maybe the last time they met. Who knows? But as far as we know so far, it was a kind of a fun like reference, I thought, that I hadn't realized was the case before. You know, I'm glad you brought up the... Uh... The ground battle, Dan, because, you know, I will say if if I had uh, (laughs) anything that I just wasn't huge on, 
I, you know, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, and last time I saw it, I was a child, and it was on VHS. But the ground battle on Hoth, yeah, it it, it did not quite hold up as well as I had it in my head. <laughs> oh, nah, it's great. It's great. What'd you not like? It just, you know, I think seeing as a kid, even, but you know, back then, it it just wasn't quite as obvious that it was miniatures and stop motion and the uh the land speeders. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I I do wish I still had that memory that I had as a child. Now I think it holds up pretty good still. It is dated, but there's there's charm in that. They're able to do all that without the use of CGI. Just using stop motion and miniatures and everything. So, yeah, you can tell it's stop motion, but it it still looks real and tangible, which is great. It's hard to fault it. I mean, you know, it was like 80. So obviously a sci-fi battle scene is going to be rough. How else are they going to do that? Yeah. But that said, the lightsaber fight in this one, I mean. Oh, so much better than the first one. Oh, my God. Like a million times. And not only is it better, we can already see the development of, like, personal styles for characters. Like, Vader's over there using his just, like, a blunt, like, weapon with him. He's just smashing stuff. He actually, yeah, has some sort of combat style instead of, you know, being an old man with a stick. And Luke is very much like Obi-Wan, holding it with two hands and kind of jabbing around. He kind of felt less experienced a little bit, too. You know, you could kind of tell that he wasn't as confident in his fighting as uh, Vader was. Unlike another character who picks up a lightsaber and fights a Sith. So there's a couple parts that I think are like, they're not bad, but it's kind of, I don't know. So I mentioned the Hoth, the the whole like Sasquatch thing does kind of feel like it's out of place. I don't know why we didn't just start with like the Empire finding them and fighting. It doesn't fit in as well with the rest of it, I feel like. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I think for me, at least, that also goes into why this movie doesn't feel like filler is because there's actually more involved in it that expands on the universe and so that first little bit kind of you know expands at least a little bit upon star wars lore and wampas and the different planets that are out there and what the empire uses to search for the rebels yeah like we could have seen that stuff i think but just like the it, all the whole cave stuff feels... But it's also a character development for Luke and Han. You get to see how Luke's progressed from the first movie, because he can use the Force to pull objects to himself now. And then, yeah, Han's sticking around to save his friends still, even though he's got that bounty on his head <laughs> that's going to cost him in this film. They probably could have done that during like the empire battle scene though when they're actually fighting the empire like they could have just fit all that in within that i feel like it feels not like super fluffy but it does feel a little like out there i think maybe that depends on how you view your movies a little bit do you want there to be some extra fluff and character development or do you just want it to be tight and compact i'm just you know you could put that character development in somewhere like in the other scenes to make it yeah i i get that completely i like how Older movies do um, the character development, whereas the new ones, you know, it doesn't feel as good as the character development. But maybe that goes back to me being a snob or something about... Well, I think TV has a point. Like, 
you know, you we probably could have had Luke getting stuck in the cockpit of like the land speeder and losing the saber and needing to get it out of the snow to cut open the cockpit and shaved like five minutes off the movie and still had that development of like, look how much Luke's grown in the force since the last film. Han, like he sticks around anyways to help Leia. Like we already, we can get that in there. You can add a little bit of extra stuff in there to show that he's like more dedicated to the cause than he was although obviously we need wampas and tauntauns because they're the best <laughs> if we cut out the wampa we'd we'd miss leia snogging her brother oh you're right <laughs> that great scene that's so funny <laughs> laugh it up fuzzball it's so funny watching that now you reminded me terry i think this movie has more of the quotable Star Wars lines in it than Episode Four does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Just watching it, I was like, man, these are all so iconic lines. It's great. Just, <laughs> I was like, I didn't remember they were all from this film. <laughs> Once again, reminded me how much I love the C-3PO and R2-D2 dialogue. I think C-3PO does get to be a bit much sometimes in this movie. When he gets blown apart and like he starts like quipping like every five seconds, and it's like... Let's just have a serious moment here, C-3PO. Just stop talking for a second. He's the levity, the comic relief. Yeah, I just thought some places we didn't need it. You saying he's not that human relatable TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Like Han's getting lowered in the thing, and he's like, turn around, fuzzball, I want to see what's going on. It's like, can we just watch Han like get frozen, please? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that one in particular they should have had them be quiet there i don't mind them so much when they're running through cloud city that's kind of funny but yeah i agree with you they, he should have been quiet during that scene yeah i did like with him and han like whenever he when they're in the falcon and he's like keeps showing up saying these dumb things it's like obvious and <laughs> it's just like thank you wow yeah what would i do without you also i think the space worm's kind of weird I don't know about that thing. What? Seems kind of lame. <laughs> That's like the theme of Star Wars, you know. That's no moon. That's no cave. Yeah, that's true. That <laughs> seems kind of yeah, random, but whatever. It's fine. It's a giant worm. Why not? It's random, but it's fun. And it doesn't harm anything being there. You know who we didn't talk about at all so far? Who? Yoda. Yes, Yoda. Oh, he's so funny. He's my favorite part of this movie. I love Yoda in this movie. He's great. He's hilarious. When you first meet him, he is so goofy. <laughs> oh, man. Mine. Give me this. Mine. Yes. Mine. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> Found someone you have. <laughs> How you grow so big eating this? <laughs> he's great. Like, I love Yoda. And then when he gets, like, serious, he's so cool, so deep. A lot of, like, memorable lines from him there, too. Oh, yeah. For sure, yeah. I love that, yeah. Him and Luke just hanging out on the planet. It's so cool. It's such a great, yeah, like, training thing. Where you can, that's where you really learn most about the Force. From the greatest master of it. It's weird to think about today, because we grew up with Yoda. Like, the prequel version of Yoda. But when this movie released, no one had ever seen a character like Yoda who talks like Yoda. That's why he was so iconic. He was just this real little guy who was a complete master with the Force. And no one expected that either. Which is another twist in this film. And it does a lot for emphasizing how the Force works and stuff, which is cool. His puppet work is so good, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it looks great. You know, I remember when I was a kid, 
first person to introduce me to Star Wars was my dad. And before we had even watched episode five, he like sat us down. He was super excited to tell us that we were going to meet this new character named Yoda. (laughs) And like that really stood out to me. And I mean that I remember that today and I was probably maybe four when that went on. But yeah, my dad was super excited to introduce me to Yoda more than anything else in episode five. So I think that's really kind of a a testament to Yoda's character and how unique he was back then. Because the prequels weren't released back then when I was four years old. And he's a lot more fun in this one than the prequels too, I think. Like, he's got so much more personality. And I mean, of course, he's probably gone a little bit crazy, which helps maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I always thought that he's gone a little insane by himself on Dagobah. <laughs> He's definitely gone a little mad. Yep. Yoda's great. I mean, he just makes all the Dagobah stuff so cool, so funny. I am curious to see, like, what would have happened, you know, because Yoda wants Luke to stay and train. I don't know. That'd be an interesting, like, one-off or something. I wonder if there's, like, a book about it or something, like, oh, what if Luke had stayed and became a master before he faced Vader? That's a, it's a very interesting dilemma between, yeah, having to choose between your friends and what's obviously a trap or staying, but letting your friends get destroyed, yeah. I think, too, that Yoda knew that he wasn't ready to go face Vader, and that's partly why he wa- not that he didn't want Luke to go help him out. He was just worried that they, he was going to lose him the Vader, essentially. And he's kind of like in the prime zone of like being able to get tempted to the other side as well he's kind of priming his development it's not fair master yoda's always holding me back (laughs) yeah he's kind of at that same age isn't he yeah sounds similar to something else (laughs) that's impossible i can't ever do that why am i learning about this he kind of has this you know maybe not to the extreme but luke does have a a lot of the similarities of kind of whining about stuff, but not nearly as bad as Anakin. Well, and at the time, that's the first time the audience had seen anything like it. So we're, we can imprint on Luke, basically. Well, I don't know if you want to use this as a segue, TV, into overall presentation. But my dog has taken a dump, and I want to <laughs> clean it up. So, Oh, no. <laughs> overall presentation, do you guys want to hit it? So we've got a scale. It goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it in that order. We kind of give a spiel, and then we round it out at the end, or at least we try to. Uh, So yeah, that's our scale. So I'm going to jump in here. My dog has made a mess out there, but I feel like I need to say my (laughs) spiel about this movie more than cleaning up that mess at the moment because I am so passionate about this movie. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I brought up in episode four how that movie is used to teach film students how to make movies. But then I think it's something interesting that this movie is even more highly rated than episode four, which is used to teach film students how to make movies. And I think that's a testament to how good this movie is. This movie is awesome. With the character development, which is really cool for a Star Wars movie because you don't really get that with any other Star Wars movie. Episode 6, you get a little bit with the Luke and Vader interaction. But this movie, there's a ton of characters in there and I don't feel gypped with the amount of time I get with any of these characters. I don't feel gypped with any of the arcs I get with them. I think this movie is definitely a buy it. It's my favorite out of all the Star Wars movies. And I think it's like the peak 
of cinema. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It's it's just really good. I think everybody should watch this movie at some point in their life just to, you know, experience what an amazing movie is. Totally. I mean, it is a an amazing movie to say the least, and it is historic in itself. Just as episode 4 was potentially the greatest explosion of sci-fi into the mainstream, this movie only builds upon that. Everything, I think, from episode 4 is built upon and improved here, as well as some new additions, such as some epic ground battles. This has all of the great things Star Wars has, including fantastic music that I, I just, we need to shout out every time, I think. So, I mean, it's obviously a buy it. Like, just go buy it. Crimity, like, buy like a Blu-ray trilogy. I don't know why you don't already own it. Why are you, like, listening to our show and not on Amazon purchasing your third copy of episode five? <laughs> Just do it. Yeah, this is definitely, I mean, this is my favorite Star Wars movie that I've seen so far. It's great. I think what makes it stand out is because it is a very different story structure than people are used to, you know? Like, with episode one, it's kind of your classic story arc. But in this one, the good guys lose for the most part. It's so different, and it stands out so much just because of that, I think. And, um, yeah, all the characters are great. All the most memorable stuff from Star Wars, I think, is mostly in this movie. Like Dan said earlier, um, it's definitely a buy it for me, I think. It's the top of the line Star Wars. This is the best it's going to get as far as I know. So buy it. I got nothing new to add here. Everybody already said it. Top of the line for Star Wars. This is as good as it's going to get. It's not going to get any better than this. It only goes downhill from here. But that being said, it's it's great. I have no problems at all with this movie. It's I got nothing to critique on it. It's great. I love it. It's my favorite Star Wars as well. Always has been, probably always will be. And that's for a reason, because it's a stupendous film. It's the best sequel ever made up there with Blade Runner 2049, in my opinion. Those two are just like impeccable sequels. I can't recommend it enough. This is 100% buy it, not two ratings from me. <laughs> Again, get the special edition um, or the Blu-ray edition of this one. You don't need the theatrical version unless you want to be a collector. You're safe to buy the Blu-ray on this one. Safe to buy from Dan. Ooh. <laughs> That, you gotta know it's good when Dan says that. God's sake, don't get the one where they add in the scream from Luke, because that's just awful. <laughs> okay, now I've got a morbid curiosity on that. I'm gonna go look that one up, I think. <laughs> I will be watching this after the show, yes. <laughs> yeah, go go watch it on YouTube if you're curious. Just as a kind of a fun thing, um, we were talking about what kind of came out between episode 4 and episode 5. The uh, Star Wars Holiday Special as also came out. What? What are you doing? <laughs> no, stop. Episode four and five. Ah, we missed one. it. <laughs> what have you done here? <laughs> With its uh, 2.1 on IMDb, it's 33% Rotten Tomatoes, which somehow is higher than Kangaroo Jack, which... What? <laughs> BS. The holiday special is terrible. I gotta say, for once, I think this is a movie that I don't think should be higher than Kangaroo Jack. This is amazing development that I've learned. I'm just gonna say, I watched Kangaroo Jack with Fox and what? TV, and they both no. were cracking up. They <laughs> loved no. it. Yeah. No. 
<laughs> Don't expose me. A casual no. plug for Kangaroo Jack. I will concede to some mild amusement, although I was also pretty drunk. So Why else would you watch it? Christmas special. I can't believe we even brought it up on this show. We've done so good <laughs> of not bringing it up ever. <laughs> it was just, I mean, we were going through... The canon. I don't know. Is holiday special considered canon? Or how <laughs> could it possibly be considered canon? Chewbacca lives in like a 1950s like treehouse. I think it may be considered canon. I don't know exactly where this stands anymore in Star Wars universe. But if you haven't seen it, I mean, it's worth a cruise on YouTube because Luke, like, rides a Brachiosaurus or something. We, we didn't bring it up, but here it is now. It did happen between episode four and episode five. That's a good point, Mike. We gotta cover our bases. It's up in the air. I think maybe at the end of this, we should do a review on the holiday special. Just as, like, a, a roast night. We can talk crap on the Disney movies as much as we want, but, I mean... We all know what the worst live-action Star Wars is. You know what? That's a good point. <laughs> we all know deep in our hearts, you know it to be true. The holiday special is the worst. Maybe we all have a glass of whiskey and review the holiday special. At the end of this, I think this sounds like fun. If if you guys want to like listen to us do this, please let us know. Because we would love to hear that. But really, please don't. <laughs> I've suffered through it too many times already. This is supposed to be my relaxing time after work. I've never watched it all the way through. I've just skipped through it on YouTube. Me neither. It's so hard to get through the whole thing. It's so hard. I've never seen it all in one set. This could be a good idea. Yeah, please let us know. Maybe we do a live show. Where we record it as we watch. A commentary? Yeah, a commentary. We could make a riff track of the holiday special. Oh, God. I'm just letting you know, I'm going to have some whiskey if I have to watch this. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, hit him, hit him with the, the stuff to contact us with, TV. Oh, right. So if you want to let us know about this holiday special <laughs> idea Mike has concocted, <laughs> you can hit us up at... Uh, Run the Real on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can email us at runtherealpodcast.gmail.com. Let us know. <laughs> Should we watch it? I don't know. Fox seems on the fence. but <laughs> Let us know why episode five is your favorite of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> I can't believe the holiday special has 33%. That's a really high rating. That's higher than Batman versus Superman, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's good. That's a good thing. You know, Batman vs. <laughs> Superman had some redeeming things in it. The holiday special doesn't. That's fair, actually. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us tonight, everybody. We really appreciate it. This is Run the Real signing off.